You are now listening to The Model Health Show with Sean Stevenson. For more, visit themodelhealthshow.com. Welcome to The Model Health Show. This is fitness and nutrition expert Sean Stevenson, and I'm so grateful for you tuning in with me today. We just got word about a very strange but expected side effect of COVID-19 entering the picture. And this is according to a recent study, as of this recording just published by the CDC, looking at the rates of childhood obesity, which took an enormous leap during the pandemic. According to this report, severely obese children, their expected annual weight gain increased from 8.8 pounds per year before the pandemic to 14.6 pounds. Moderately obese children, their expected weight gain of 6.5 pounds nearly doubled, jumping up to 12 pounds of weight gain. And even children who had a healthy weight prior to the pandemic saw their annual rate of weight gain increase from 3.4 pounds to 5.4 pounds. Now, something is clearly wrong, but we really stuck to the data from the very beginning and looking at these very obvious trends that were going to take place as a result of how we've handled this situation. Now, we could have the mindset that, hey, maybe this is a temporary collateral damage taking place, but then we're ignoring the laws of recidivism and seeing how when these situations take hold, when we see increases in weight gain, abnormal weight gain and obesity in children, it becomes exceedingly more difficult for them to lose that weight as they venture into adulthood, essentially setting them up for a lifetime of struggle based on, again, the data that we've accumulated over decades of studying obesity. And so a lot of folks don't realize that since 1980, the prevalence among children and adolescents, the prevalence of obesity in our children has almost tripled since 1980. Today, nearly one in three of our kids are overweight or obese. And this is a side effect of our culture. There's a cultural construct that has shifted. It's not just our children, but I wanted to highlight this because this data has just been published, which we knew this was going to happen. We've seen the same thing happen with adults here in the United States. There's been a massive amount of weight gain. And again, it's understandable. The stress, the lack of movement, the anxiety, the consumption, the increased consumption of processed foods, the more time on the couch. Of course, you know, these are some of the things, but we know the side effects of those things. What happens when our insulin resistance goes up because of these things, our sedentary behavior, our, our weight gain? Levels of inflammation go up. Levels of chronic disease, if we're talking about our susceptibility to infectious diseases, dramatically increases, exponentially grows when we move away from health. And the thing is, we already, as we're going to talk about in this episode, we were already experiencing a snowball effect. Again, since 1980, the rate of obesity in children has almost tripled. Things were not going well. And now it's been accelerated. But here's the thing, and what this is all about, what this show is all about. What can we actually do to change this, to right the ship, to use what we've learned from the past 
and move forward in a more empowered, intelligent, and efficacious way so we can actually get the results that we're looking for. The power is in our hands to make this difference. And so really incredibly excited about today's episode, incredibly excited about our guest. He is truly a trainer's trainer, somebody that countless folks look to when understanding the domain of body transformation, of physical fitness. I mean, he is in a league of his own, truly. Now, we actually had him on the show a couple years ago, and he kind of shared his story and how he got into this space, which I highly recommend checking out that episode. But now we're just going to focus on, listen, everyday folks, moms, dads, folks working a nine to five, to I'm talking the most elite athletes on planet Earth are coming to our special guest. And the difference is he has strategies and programming that fits all of these folks at Spectrum. It isn't a one size fits all. And so we're going to dig in today and look at, so what are some of those very specific things that we need to account for so that we can start to move our own personal health and fitness forward and also outpicture these things in our families and our communities. Now, an added layer of importance with this is the data that we now have on the connection with physical fitness, on activity versus sedentary behavior in defending our bodies from the likes of COVID-19 and related symptoms. A study conducted by researchers at Kaiser Permanente Medical Center tracked the exercise habits of nearly 50,000 COVID-19 patients and revealed some very eye-opening evidence. After analyzing their exercise habits over the two years prior to the pandemic, it was revealed that people who were consistently inactive, the folks who were sedentary, were two and a half times more likely to die from COVID-19 than people who consistently exercised. Now, this is analyzing population study. This is observational data. But building on top of this, we've shared multiple studies that are affirming the same thing and much more. So make sure to check out the episode we did titled The Five Risk Factors for COVID that you're probably not hearing about, episode 510, for more details on that connection between exercise, sedentary behavior, and outcomes, poor outcomes, or resilience against COVID-19. And another critical aspect is our nutrition in relationship to this virus and also all other infectious and chronic diseases is what is running our biochemistry. There's this really dynamic sodium potassium pump that's driving essentially all the functions of the body. So these electrolytes carry an electric charge and they're able to enable or enact functions and signal transduction. So from brain cell to brain cell, from heart cell to heart cell, this is incredibly important, but it's so overlooked. And especially in the equation, looking at infectious disease, a meta-analysis published in the Annals of Clinical Biochemistry titled Electrolyte Imbalances in Patients with Severe Coronavirus Disease, COVID-19, analyzed five studies with nearly 1,500 patients with COVID-19 and found that both sodium and potassium were significantly lower in patients who had severe COVID-19. And getting these electrolytes back up is one of these important clinical inputs that we've seen again and again and again, but unfortunately, it's not being talked about. 
Now, the study does not designate, is it a electrolyte deficiency leading to severe outcomes or is it the severe outcomes depleting the body of electrolytes? It's probably both. It's a both and world in this context because the electrolytes are already putting the body in an optimal or a susceptible state. And then so many electrolytes are getting utilized by the body when it's mounting a defense and running processes of inflammation, of immune cells. It's so important and it's so simple, but it's overlooked and we can do something about it. Of course, we want to make sure that we're eating nutrient-dense foods and getting our electrolytes, potassium, magnesium, and the like, sodium from high-quality foods. But in this instance, especially today, I'm a huge fan because I've seen the results firsthand and also I've seen this just outpicturing itself again and again and again in the data because of the change in our food system. Even if we're eating high-quality organic foods, the soil being depleted, we're not getting as many micronutrients and electrolytes through our food. Having a high-quality electrolyte source without any crazy added sugars, without any binders and fillers and unnecessary chemicals, this is of the utmost importance today. And I already mentioned in defense of our, with our bodies in the context of COVID-19, you can get a free sample right now of the very best electrolyte on the planet. Go to drinklmnt.com forward slash model. That's drinklmnt.com forward slash model. You can get a free sample of Element delivered right to your door. All you do is pay a little bit in shipping and you get hooked up, all right? It's time to get a little bit salty with all that's happening in the world and shifting the focus to real health and wellness. Again, go to drinklmnt.com forward slash model. And now let's get to the Apple Podcast Review of the Week. Another five-star review titled Favorite Podcast This Year by C.J. Eccles. Sean Stevenson is such an expert in the realm of health, nutrition, and mindset. This podcast is very educational, but also gives practical advice on how to live your highest quality life. I love the knowledge and practical life advice that he gives on his show. He is engaging and brings so many cool people on the show. I listen to this weekly. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that review over on Apple Podcasts. And speaking of cool guests, today is definitely going to be a game changer. Our guest today is the brilliant Luca Hosevar, and he's a former pro athlete himself, born and raised in Slovenia, playing basketball in Europe and the NBA Summer Pro League as well, and parlaying that into his stateside presence and founding one of the most incredible gyms in the United States, Vigor Ground Fitness and Performance. Today it's recognized as one of the leading transformation facilities in the United States, integrating fitness, performance, nutrition coaching, behavior change, physical therapy, and so much more, all under one roof. Luca and Vigor Ground have been featured in Men's Health, Entrepreneur Magazine, CBS, Fox, and many other major media outlets. Now let's jump into this conversation with the one and only Luca Hosevar. My man, Luca, welcome back to the Model Health Show. Man, I'm so happy to be here. It feels like it hasn't been that long, but it's, it's, been, it's been a minute, though. Yeah, it's been you a know, couple been, years. But, been, you know, yeah, like in, in the like age that. of COVID, these years are different. Very, very you know, different. It's basically like dog years now. I know. I feel like I went to the Shire and back. You know what I'm <laughs> I went on, a, on an adventure before I got back here. Shire. <laughs> 
So I want to ask you about the technical side, the X's and O's side of things when it comes to fitness. You know, it's obviously a big necessity right now is getting our society healthier, more fit, more robust, reducing susceptibility to disease and all those good things. But what are some of the biggest, let's start with the mistakes people are making. What are some of the biggest mistakes that people are making when they set out to transform their health from a technical X's and O's standpoint? Okay, great question. Like, man, this, this could be a deep dive. So I went, you know, when we talked before, I kind of went and put some things down as like focal points. So, so this is where I'm, I'm stemming from, okay? When people, and, and obviously health is a lot more than weight loss, um, but so much of it is related to, I would say health is related to markers of, you know, having a, leaner, a lower body fat and, and, uh, and weight loss. So there's, there's seven or so things that people that are able to take the weight off and keep it off do, right? So it's kind of like that um, 10,000 foot view, bigger picture, okay? So I want to talk about those as far as, uh, as, as being these main markers because consistency is such a huge factor. Like I always talk about, you know, whatever you're going to do, majority of it, you have to continue doing it. So that's a behavior thing, right? It's, an, it's who you become. It's an identity. It's like you do it no matter what. One of the first things is cognitive restraint, right? Every person that, um, and let's, let's fall back just one, one quick second to say that over the course of three years, people that lose weight, 95% of them put it back on and one to two thirds put on extra weight in that time, which is, you know, somewhat I would say um, is, is definitely sad and it's challenging. It's kind of like we're, we're here to try to change that and get that, you know, snowball rolling in a positive direction. So we kind of look at, okay, what are the, the 5% of people, like what do they do, right? That make them successful and sustainably are able to do this. And you could probably, you know, you could take this into some of the stuff I'll talk about. You can take it into other areas of life, lifestyle, because they're like big picture behavior things, right? Cognitive restraint means that you are aware, okay? And that you restrain from, for instance, whether, and the restraint can be in a form of, I don't eat after eight. Now, obviously, that's not some scientific thing, but it creates a constraint where it may help you basically eat less. Uh, cognitive restraint might be smaller plates. It may be, um, you know, any of the kind of methods, intermittent fasting, without, without going into what works and doesn't work and the science behind it, but that people are aware, I'm going to have to restrain, right, from doing something. Hey, like this is, this is um, if I do this, it's not going to lead me to my long-term goals. So if, if you've ever seen kind of like the four boxes of when it comes to behaviors, there's um, unconscious incompetence, right? So that means you don't know what you don't know, right? Um, and you're doing something. So stage, stage two is conscious incompetence. You start becoming aware. You know, Sean tells me like, hey, Luca, um, I noticed that you're always interrupting me while I'm talking. Damn, I didn't know I'd do that, right? And then you kind of catch yourself. That's conscious incompetence. So conscious incompetence is usually where somebody becomes aware of, I may be eating too much. Like I go out and have some drinks and afterwards I'm always snacking or eating fast food. Part three is conscious competence. That's where you start improving your behavior, but it's hard. You know, change is very, very hard. So you maybe have to have reminders, notes, uh, meal delivery plan. Like you buy all smaller plates for, for your home. You uh, create the smoothie the night before so it's ready to, to have it because it's lower, lower calorie than what you usually eat. 
And then four stages, like where we all want to get to, where, which is unconscious competence, meaning like I do the thing that's taken me towards the person I want to be. And it's just a habit. Yeah. Right. Like we just think do about it. it. You don't have to think about it. Right. That's, but it's, it's good to, um, and they're geeky words, but it's good to kind of understand those stages because, you know, in life you find yourself, uh, you know, realizing something. You read a book, somebody's listening to your podcast, and they go, like, damn, I didn't know that. Right. So they go from unconscious incompetence to like conscious competence, unconscious competence. Uh, I'm see that the hard words make me mix them up the whole time, but it's like you go from not knowing to just knowing, still not doing it, but knowing it. And that's a huge key. So cognitive restraint basically means that just like you have to restrain from doing certain things that you've been doing right now when it comes to, uh, and like I'm mostly talking about food right now. Um, number two is there's got to be some form of tracking. There has to be. Now, you, you know, even if I look at our clients that have vigor ground, I'd say that out of 10 people, about three are comfortable um, and do well with, for instance, tracking calories. About seven out of 10. That's not going to work for them, right? But that's not the only form of tracking. Like you can track so many different things, right? You can check the, the habit boxes. Did I, hey, did I eat my meal delivery, um, you know, for lunch? And it, you know, it's, it's automatic. It's got 450 calories. It's got this much protein. Did I eat my five servings of non-starchy vegetables? Exactly, right? Yeah. It's like you can track that. And you can track this. You can just start with one thing. Hey, did I get enough protein in today? Maybe that's it, right? Water intake. Water intake. Yeah. Right. There's, there's got to be things that you can check and, and track. Did you do it or did you not do it? Which I'm a bigger fan of the behavior part of it. Right. Not the outcome part of it, but the behavior part of it. But there's got to be some form of way that we end up seeing. Are we, you know, it's like the buoy in the water. Mm -hmm. I always say, you know, we did this, these, these uh, warrior challenges and we did like these swimming laps. But one of my mentors said, you know, think of these buoys like, uh, like your life. You know, you have this vision of how life should be. And the buoy is the marker that you're on the right track, right? So you, you got to have that because if you don't, you're just throwing stuff against the walls like it's going to stick. Yeah. Um, so track, tracking and anything, but just don't think of tracking as being this very, very um, stressful thing. Because a lot of times if I tell you, all right, I listen, you track your calories, your macros, your, I've, I've already lost a lot of people. Like, and I'm just, I'm just trying to eat better, right? Yeah. So you can break that down in so many different ways and just go like, you know, are these buoys on, on the path to where I want to be and who I want to be? And right? things that are, that are more rational and manageable too. Because most yes. people, when, as soon as you said that, I'm like, a lot of folks are going to think about weight because they're just going to be tracking that metric. Did you see any of the new Will Smith? He's doing this, you know, uh, series where he's getting in the best shape of his life is supposed to be I, I the, saw that, yeah. the outcome. Did you see the first episode? Nah. So the first episode, I don't, spoiler alert, <laughs> but I'm just giving you a tiny bit of you, it. Um, but- in the first episode, you know, he, he's demonstrating, he's showing he's got, you know, he's in the worst shape that he's ever been. He's demonstrating that. And he gets to work, you know, so he's, he's getting after it, lifting, doing all the things, improving his nutrition. He, he gets on the scale pre, and then after a week, he gets on, gains a pound. He gained a pound. So he's supposed to lose a pound a week. Not only did he not do that, he gained a pound. But I can literally see his, I can see his physical body is improved. He's physically healthier. If they were measuring his waist, I could tell that he's lost some off his waist just looking at his before and after picture. But because it's the scale, you could see this depression hit in the room. You could see this, this like fog come over everybody's, you know, his trainers in the room. It's like, well, uh, and they try to explain it away. 
but we're using this one this one, one metric one thing. Yes. And I, that man. for for many people, as you mentioned, this is what I want to say is it creates stress around weight. And it's it's something that is it's 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 something we can manage, not to say we can't, but so many people put their faith into that and not actually improving their metabolic health, reducing the size of their, you know, their waste management, body fat, all that stuff. I'm so happy you brought this up because, you know, it's something I wanted to talk about later on, but it's like, you know, the making progress part of it. So I believe that anytime you go around um, trying to change your body, it should be three things. Body composition, people want to look better. I mean, period, right? That's a lot of times what drives the start sometimes, right? But it should be that. Health, if you look better without being healthier, I think that's, that's a fail, right? Mm. And then number three is performance. Uh, now, what that performance is depends on the person. You know, performance for somebody might be, I want to pick my grandkid up off the floor. Um, we get a lot of folks that are, I want to hit my first chin up. Um, I want to deadlift double my body weight. You know, be empowered. Like, uh, uh, I would say our gym is probably about 60 to 65% women. And, you know, love lifting. Because, but not just because of the, like, the body transformation, but the confidence that they gain mm-hmm. and the empowerment is just like crazy to see. I absolutely love it. So if you just go... I'm, I'm going to basically connect my, my value of, or, or worth or progress to this number on a scale. Like you're shooting yourself short, you know what I mean? Because you could have dropped body fat in inches, you know, uh, I would say dropped body fat, put on some muscle, especially hyper responders do that right. when you start off pretty damn good and you're looking different. You look at the pictures, they're different, right? But you're going like, oh man, I fail. So it's a, it's a key that when you start, you determine what progress is going to look like. like right. And, and I, I love this question, right? Ask all clients this question. If, if today I can like wave this magic wand, so while you sleep, you know, I do the Gandalf, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, and tomorrow, like you wake up and life is perfect. Like in a sense, the, exactly the way that you want it to be. But tell me, tell me what problems are gone. How do you feel? What's different, right? Because when people start explaining that, Usually, it won't be like, oh, well, I look on the scale and I weigh X, Y, Z. They'll say, man, I look in the mirror and like, I love what I see and I have a confidence. I have great energy. I get up in the morning and like, my back doesn't hurt. You know, it doesn't take me 10 minutes to, to just put my, like, my socks on, right? So now you start seeing a picture of what they want their life to be like. Now you can reverse engineer and say, okay, what are some like markers of progress that would take you there? Right. And, and I don't think many people determine that. They go like, oh, I want to lose 20 pounds. Why do you want to do that? Right. Mm-hmm. Why is that important? So you, I think it's very, very important to figure out like other markers, blood work. Right. When you go mm-hmm. do blood work and it's like, yeah. wow, like, hey, your inflammation is down. Iron's better. Vitamin D deficiency has got, you know, is better. It's good now. I mean, there's so many different markers. Your testosterone levels are much better. Free range testosterone. Damn, like I'm, you're healthier. Right? So we said body composition, health, performance. The performance side of it is great because at least when it comes to strength, you can, did the weight go up? Did you do an extra rep? Um, I love doing stuff like speed and power stuff. And we'll talk a little bit about that later too with anybody, not just with athletes. But you know, you go to, to a mom that's like, hey, like your 10-yard acceleration just dropped by 0.2. I'm, I'm telling you right now, everybody gets excited. I don't care, you know. Man, you just produce more power in that. Like your, your VBT score, we have this uh, velocity-based training stuff that we do, right? You can see it improve. People love improvement, 
right? It's, yeah. it's part of the intrinsic motivator of human beings, like competence. If I become more competent, I become more fulfilled. And so what you brought up is very important because, you know, an example of Will Smith, he did all this work. And then, you know, it seems that a lot of, uh, I don't have enough context, but a lot of the, I would say, um, attachment to the outcome was what was going to like be, make, make him su- successful or excited, right? Oh, I'm successful now. But self-esteem is built this way. If I do something I said I was going to do, I'm going to put a credit in my self-esteem bank account, right? So you're like, tomorrow morning, I'm going to get up and do 10 minutes of mobility because my hips and my back are, are hurting. When you do that, right, you do the thing that you said you're going to do, check, mm. credit in the self-esteem bank account, right? Then you go, I'm going to get my workout in today. Man, I only have so much time, so I'm going to do a 25-minute workout. Check. And the thing is, the more things that you do that you said, you build these credits in a self-esteem bank account, right? Now, when you don't, you put a debit in there. And what, what's happening in the world a lot today is that because people are frustrated with where they are, they go, I'm going to jump into this, do seven workouts a week. I'm going to go on this diet right here. And, you know, these, these super aggressive things that are very hard to put into place all at one time. And so when that happens, debits, debits, debits. And you go what I call, you go bankrupt in self-esteem, right? And when you go bankrupt in self-esteem, then it's difficult to believe yourself that you're going to do something. And, and the, the way to solve that, rather than me just going like, that's what happens. <laughs> but like the way to solve it is to go, okay, look, take smaller chunks off the pot, right? Instead of saying you're going to train seven days this week, how about, you know, tomorrow you're going to, meet your friend and do, you know, 15-minute workout. Does that seem more doable? And it does, right? It's, it's just not as big of a task. But once you complete it, mm-hmm. you put that credit in. And you have to, you know, like you have to ask yourself right now, it's like, man, are you, you know, is your, are you bankrupt in self-esteem? And if you are, you know, it's okay. Because here's how you build it up, right? And there's the power of environments. We'll, we'll probably dig into that a little bit later. But, you know, put yourself in environments that make it easier for you to do the things because now we're starting to build that self-esteem back up. And um love that. And, and the thing about that is that, you know, these are all like, first of all, these are all proven things that we've through behavior science like found that that work. Right. So man, let, let's find ways. Don't don't fight it. Like let's find ways to implement this. Now it's it, it is different for everybody because the capacity of, of people is different. Some people can take on a little bit more, some people can take on a little bit less. But I would say that it's always better to like do less, but do it consistently than do more and go what I call the, the um, rest pause mentality, right? Oh, I'm going to start training when I have a little bit more time, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to improve my nutrition, but not during the holidays, right? Not during uh, November through December, right? Because that would, that would kind of mean that life has a start and stop button, but it doesn't. It never does right? There's, there's always things going on. So we got to find ways to put behaviors in our life that lead us to become the person that we want to become, right? I and, love it. You know, so you just brought up this, there's a term of learned helplessness yes. when those debits get us to the place where we're bankrupt. And so to evolve from learned helplessness is to start to add strategically some credits back. And it just by implementing simple, small things starts to build up that neurological association that I can do a thing. That's powerful, man. So we've got number one, cognitive restraint. 
Number two, tracking. Number three. Now, so yeah, we, we veered off a little bit, but it's going to plan into exercise. Um, and in, into exercise. So strength training and just exercise in general has proven um, to be a huge marker. So 70% of the people that kept that 5% off all had a regular exercise regime. So that in itself tells mm-hmm. you a lot. We know that you know, maintaining and or building lean body mass is one of the best things for metabolism, right? I sit here, if I have more lean body mass, I'm burning more calories. But it's also you know, it's connected to so many health markers. And not to mention, um, people that have more muscle mass are able to, uh, they have a better body fat set point, meaning so one, one of the issues with, with weight loss is there's something called a body fat set point, which has now been, you know, used to be a theory and now has been more confirmed. So it just means that if you've stayed at a certain uh, weight for a long period of time, your body's going to have a tougher time moving from that weight, right? Because that's what's safe. That's homeostasis. So if you go up or down too much, but especially down, it's going to go like, whoa, survival, <laughs> you know, like this is, this is not good. And then the hormone leptin is almost like a thermostat, right? It's a thermostat in a sense of if you drop, it's going to basically reduce the temperature so that we kind of come back, right? If we go up, so it's going to regulate it because it wants you to stay in that homeostasis. Exercise and strength training has been proven to be able to um, adjust that, or should I say like help with that. So if you drop weight and you strength train, your body will have an easier time staying at that lower weight. Right. And there's been a lot of studies done around that enough to confirm, like, first of all, like this is something you have to do right now. What does strength training look like? I mean, it, it's obviously depends how much do you want to improve your performance and put on muscle. But any person that wants to be healthier, lose weight, be fitter long term should be doing some form of, of exercise and strength training like that's been proven across the board. And a lot of times people say, OK, Luca, what if you had a template? You know, and obviously everything's different for everybody. But if you had a template, I had a great conversation um, with Dr. Andy Galpin about this. But what would it be? I said, well, one, uh, you should strength train two to three days a week, right? So somewhere in that range. You should do something fast one day a week, regardless of your age, what your goals are. And I'm going to touch on that one because I think that's one that's missed out a lot on, right? And it's, um, first of all, the first thing that you lose as you age. It's not strength, it's power. power. It's not cardio, it's power. And people that, you know, uh, first of all, things like agility, quickness, reactivity, um, when folks fall and break their hips, which is a huge number, like one out of three people over the age of 50, uh, that's power, right? That's speed, that's reactivity. And it, it's almost like there's this fear of it, right? Oh, as I get older, I shouldn't be doing that. But it's actually like, no, you should. Now, it might look different for, you know, if I'm doing box jumps and full-blown sprints and we have somebody that's 55 maybe even 60 they may not be doing the same thing but you know what they could be throwing a medicine ball explosively for them they could be uh pushing a sled fast they could be um we'll do you know card throws like i'll throw cards and obviously they 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 get all wonky they're going to try to catch them uh tennis ball drills speed ladder drills for them that's going to be fast and they can still improve that speed and they can still, uh, I would say, work on that so that it doesn't, they don't lose it. Like you, you don't use it, you lose it, right? right. Yeah. Um, and it's, it, I mean, great examples like my, my dad is Parkinson's, the onset of it. He goes and he boxes, right? So he does these speed ladder drills and 
you know, the doctor was like, I don't know what you're doing, but whatever you're doing, man, it's like it's keeping it at bay. And so that like speed is such an important factor of it. So once a week at least, you should be doing something fast. Once a week, you should get your heart rate up high for whatever that is for you. So think hard conditioning, right? Uh, I like to do that heart rate monitoring. So do something, you know, fast, explosive for whatever, whatever that uh, person is, get the heart rate high, let it drop back down. I know this is basics, but, but this is definitely a template of it. Once a week, do something for a longer duration of time on cardio, but not as high of intensity. And I, I would say probably more like once to twice a week on, on that front. And always making sure that you work on quality movement. You know, and um, even in the last show, we kind of dove pretty deep into that as far as movement, hygiene, mobility. Um, I mean, that's extremely important because my, my philosophy is always move well, move more, move strong, move fast. Right. And, but it starts with move well. If you don't move well and then you add uh, more volume, you add more load on top of that, you add speed, it's going to be, you're just going to speed up dysfunction. Right. Mm-hmm. So if I have a horrible posture, and I don't first, you know, improve my mobility and, and move well, guess what's going to happen? Right? I'm going to load that and something's going to go off. My neck, my shoulder, my low back, something's going to break down. So when it comes to exercise, I, I really, really like that template because if you strength train two, two to three days a week, you do a little longer di- distance or should I say longer duration cardio, which can be a lot of different things, about, you know, two days a week. You do speed training uh, once a week and you do one, maybe two sessions with higher intensity uh, heart rates, that's a pretty damn good model right there, right? And the reason I say this to this many times is because somebody that's just starting off, hey, two strength sessions, you know, uh, and one speed session and one cardio session, great. And you can do it in in the same day. For example, I could do speed training and then afterwards do high intensity intervals, right? Those couple together pretty well. I can do a strength session and then afterwards do some longer duration, right? There's, there's ways to piece it together. It doesn't have to be somebody's going like, hold on. So I got to train eight days a week. <laughs> like, yeah. no, no, no. Like, but I'm saying that type of stimulus, right? That type of stimulus. We live in an age where you need to, you know, we only have so much time. So if you have an hour, I could do, you know, a quality warm up for 10 minutes, do strength training for 30, 40 minutes. And finish off with some type of you know high intensity conditioning for 15 and that's an hour and five minutes but but i've i've now knocked out a couple of those variables inside of that training session so i think it's important to you know just look at okay what are the things that help us be more resilient strong what, and longevity right we, we know cardio used to be a thing that we did to lose weight you know and we know that's not the most effective thing whatsoever but it is extremely important when it comes to health, extremely. And um, um, I'm, I'm glad that like one of my really close friends, Joel Jameson, has done so much research on it. He put HRV on Apple, was one of the first guys that did that. Like, you know, the, the correlation of like quality cardio and heart rate variability is, uh, you know, I think that you end up, um, there's certain markers that show you live 10% longer if you have, you know, quality cardio and you have good HRV. That's, that's like eight years, seven to eight years, you know, could I sell you on that? Hey, listen, like, would you like to live 10% longer? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Okay, great. Make sure you do your cardio. Um, and there's, like I said, there's different ways to do it. I think that's a pretty, pretty good template to do that. That's great, man. It's such, so valuable and 
So if you put this in the context of how many hours we have in a week, for example, being 168 hours, three well-constructed hours, you could have a significant level of health. You know, then we get up to maybe five hours and you're like crushing it. You're at, you're in the top like 5% of the U United States population. If you're doing it with some intentionality, of course, because we can, and I know this is a pretty, it's, I think that this is a lot more wiggle room in this. If I say junk exercise, mm. because just still moving, doing something, Agreed. you're probably going to turn out better than folks who are just couch sure. searching. Actually, th th this leads to like a really, really cool, um, I was just going over some uh, PN studies. So over the course of a year, and this, I think they had a million data points on this. So mm. it only took 50% compliance of exercise and nutrition to over the course of a year, average around 11 to 12 pounds of weight loss. So 40 to 50%, right? So think about that. That means that like you could do more than half wrong over the course of a year and still have damn good results, right? And then as soon as you go into that 50 plus to 70 plus range, it's actually pretty equivalent. Now, I say this because that's like a very, very, uh, I would say, good data point to go, Hey, like you don't have to be 100%. You don't have to be 90, 80, 70, 50 to 40 to 50 will already get you pretty good. I'll call them pretty good, right? If you want to go to very good, you got to be in like 70% range over the course of a year, which still means you can do 30% wrong, right? Mm -hmm. And if, if we look at that in, in the context of an actual week, so let's say you, you're like, I'm going to strength train four days a week based on the template we talked about, right? I'm going to go to the gym four days a week and work on this thing. But the reality ends up being that like you end up going twice a week, right? Um, you say that you're going to eat more whole unprocessed foods, right? You eat four meals a day. It used to be a lot of fast food. But now only about two of them per day are whole unprocessed. You still eat two fast food meals. Statistically, you're going to lose over 10 pounds that year. Feel better, be stronger, uh, be more confident, have better habits, right? That's pretty damn great. Yeah. Right? And, and I want to throw that out there because I, I feel that, um, you know, in our minds, that pause button mentality I talked about earlier is very like, oh, I didn't do it. I didn't do yeah. it just right. Yeah. I'll start again when there's a better gap in my life. Right. Yeah. Like, oh, I only did 60 percent. What a failure I am. Right. And no, like you, you did 60 percent more than you were doing. Like you have to constantly shine a light on those wins like that's such a huge factor it's such a huge factor that you know th this is I, I'm, i've ingrained this in my head so much with clients that like i'll find good stuff all the time and great job like your, your, your spine is in a better position when you deadlift do you, do you know that you just went up five pounds that was moving faster than last week yeah but it's the same weight weight luca we didn't go up but it's moving faster mm -hmm. and the form was better right shine light positive shine light so what's happening is like i'm ingraining wins so that they're going like, okay, cool. Wow, I'm better. I'm better. I'm better. Yeah. So that's building that self-esteem we talked about, right? It, but it's, it's, it's such a, you know, um, this happens so much where a person goes on a thing, you know, and uh, point number four is going to lead into this, by the way. They go into a program, a diet or something, and they don't go exactly, it doesn't go exactly as planned, which nothing in life does, right? And then as soon as it doesn't, the thought process is I failed. So I'm going to either start another thing or I'm going to start later because I'm just, you know, but it, and it's kind of almost like reinforcing the like, I knew I'm not like, I'm not good enough. Like, I just can't do this. But that's not true, 
right? So if we start, number one, with something that's right for you, you're going to be more successful. And number two, look at the things that you're doing well. And don't just keep like ramping up and putting focus on the things that, you know, you didn't do right. Um, and that leads me to number four. So the people that were successful were on some type of structured program. Now, when I say program, I mean exercise. Uh, they had some guidance on nutrition, lifestyle, right? It wasn't just on a whim. So the majority of those people were, and usually that involved some type of support and community, which, which is actually another point that um, comes later on. But with, uh, you know, when you have, I call them like boundaries, like on a basketball court, right? People do well with boundaries, but not too much restriction, okay? Because too much restriction means like you're on a tightrope. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, oh, you messed up. You messed it up. You messed up this program. You messed you up failed. your diet. You fell. Like, you're done, right? Yeah. Boundaries is like on a basketball court, I can dribble left and right and forward, backward, but there is an out of bounds though. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think that when you have structured programs that are created in a way where you have boundaries and not tightropes and you get taught and educated on like, how to make choice, have autonomy. Oh, I didn't have access to this. You know, but you told me that if I didn't have that, like I could do these three different things. So I did, I just did RDLs with my dumbbells instead of a trap bar deadlift. Hey, great job, right? People need autonomy in their lives, right? They need to have, because uh, autonomy builds confidence and not like always looking to somebody for an answer. So structured structure programs, they help people give, uh, I would say those boundaries and guidance and like a path. And because they're usually part of, you know, and like I said, whether it's you come to my gym, there's a whole group of people that are supporting you, the coaches, uh, other members, they're all on the same journey in some way or another. Everybody's positive. Um, you know, they're bringing you up like, hey, hey, girl, like I, I, I had the same problem. Like, you know, and here's what I did. Man, like they might listen to that member more than they listen to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Lucas said that, but I, I hear you though. <laughs> you know, like, right. <laughs> so, but, but that has, that was a huge, huge, huge factor, right? Which um structured programs part now it could be it could be online right you, you can find i would say groups of people that are just like you on a mission just like you um and what we do really well right psychologically is we adhere to standards of the tribe right so this is such a key and it loops back to the environment i was talking about that if you get into an environment where like you know this is this is the type of people we are this is the type of things that we do you're going to want to do that now that can be good or bad all my friends go out for drinks four days a week. Then they go eat some fast food. I'm going to do that because otherwise I'll be left out of the tribe, right? But if I go to the gym and it's like, well, yeah, we go and meet for healthy brunch twice a week. I exercise four or five days a week at this gym. And we're the type of people that, you know, fill in the blank, right? Are examples for our kids because, you know, we live a fit lifestyle. Um, you know, we read, we prepare our lunches, we do, right? I mean, I can go down the list of habits you start adhering to those, to those standards. And so when I say structured programs, it means you're, you're, you're following some type of program, but you're also part of something. Mm. And, and that's also the next point is social support, right? Social support is such a key factor in that because like I said, and, and social support can be uh, also people that are challenging you, right? First of all, it means, yes, they're uplifting you, they're supporting you. They're there for you. They hear you. They understand you. But they also challenge you, right? They challenge you when you are not being the person that you said you wanted to be, right? And to me, that's love. 
right? It's it's equivalent to love. People sometimes take it like, yeah, that person is all up in my, yeah, like, but what are what are they challenging you on? They're challenging you to be a better self, not to be a lesser, right? And so social support groups um, come in many many different formats. Uh, now, personally, I'm a I always lead to this. I you know I'm a I'm a brick and mortar guy. I mean, I do stuff online, but um, I, I own gyms and like I believe in like you know skin to skin face to face i think it's such a powerful thing which is also what's been really challenging in the last couple of years right because that's been restricted there's been a lot of kind of disconnect there and when you see people coming back together like there's just a you know even with our, with our clients the stuff that they'll say will be like oh, it's just like this load coming off i'm around my people you know it's just that energy uh helps them helps them come in like they'll be like i'm coming in because of that Right, that's a that's a thing that gets people to be consistent. Yeah. Those support groups, those environments, and so that's pretty damn critical, right? Now, it, the thing is, I don't think that there's such a thing as too much because maybe you have a you know an online group that helps you with, for instance, uh, nutrition lifestyle habits, and then you have a gym you go to, and that's you know that's your people, and you train hard there, and you know, and you also have a community outside that you go do things. Then you have a, a book club with people, right? Like. My question is just always, are these environments and the people, are they supporting like the person that you want to become, right? And there's, um, you know, there's a, there's a really big key in success and one is managing stress. And so we've heard of like good stress is called you stress. Good stress is stress that once you've had it, you're going to grow from it. Bad stress is usually ongoing. It's chronic. You stress is usually short, right? I did a hard workout for an hour. Where I was stressful, but then I have release of endorphins and dopamine and like all these feel-good chemicals and my muscles are going to rebuild and I'm going to get better. Chronic stress is stuff like is nonstop, high inflammation. I'm not sleeping, so I'm tired. Um, you know, my thoughts are always about focusing on the negative, right? These are all things that, you know, my nutrition is putting my body in an environment that is just not conducive to energy and health and feeling good. Yeah. That's bad stress. So I would, I would actually look at, you know, one of the things that, and I know uh, I'm going to connect this to the social support system because who am I around? Is that person constantly stressing me out? Right. Um, are they, is this environment of people toxic to me? Right. I go home and even if I'm not, not around them anymore, now all of a sudden I'm still thinking about that. Well, that's, that's bad stress. Make a chart, right? Good stress, bad stress. And in your life, think about the things that are challenging you, stress that makes you better, and then stress that doesn't make you better. And then you can legit probably look at that list and go, okay, what can I start changing? Some things maybe, you know, if you work somewhere, maybe you can't just quit tomorrow, right? But, but you can go somewhere else instead of the cafeteria, right? You can go and go for a walk and listen to, you know, Model Health Show podcast, right? Let's go. And be in a better environment. So you, you can look at that and go, I can affect this good stress, bad stress here, right? Because there's something called um, allostatic load, geeky word. But it just means, it means it's all the physical, emotional, emotional mental, even spiritual stress that gets put on you. And we look at that with, with for instance, with members because... If somebody comes in and have a you know, 14-hour day job, they're a CEO, they're running stuff, they got kids, they got their stress from other areas is really high. 
would it be smart for me to go, are right, you going to train extremely hard five days a week? Hmm. No, because their allostatic load is so high that they're not going to be able to recover from it, right? But what we don't think about is, you know, our environments outside of that training space. So what we're thinking about is like, oh, I go and train hard, you know, and then maybe, I mean, people don't even think about sleep enough, right? Do you sleep well? But okay, who are you surrounding yourself? Because if 13 hours of your day, you're around folks that legitimately make you stressed out, you're in that fight or flight mode, you're constantly on, that's like, that's not going to be good for your health, right? So social support systems plug into all of that. Yeah, yeah. I love that. And I love that container that you put it into because just because you have a positive supportive relationship, that doesn't mean it's not going to come with stress, but it's going to be a healthier stress where people are challenging you again to be the best version of yourself, to be the person that you uh, broadcast that you want to be, to hold you accountable, things like that. But also a lot of nurturing, fun, support, laughter, you know, creativity, uh, innovation, all these other things, qualities are there versus the chronically stressful type of relationship that I know all of us have likely experienced. M many of us might be participating right now. You know, you're in your intramurals with it right now. And you're just like, maybe this is your call to action to, to evolve beyond that. Mm -hmm. and, and, and you know what's a, a thing that I always try to bring up? The bigger the challenge, the, the higher the support has to be, right? Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes there's, um, there's kind of like a disconnect between that. So I'm not saying you can't take big challenges on in life. You know, li life has seasons. Um, you know, I'm gonna start a new business. Well, that's gonna take a lot more from you, right? I'm getting ready for a, comp a physical competition. Um, you know, in 12 weeks, I'm gonna step on stage or it's maybe this, uh, you know, it's a sport. Like, hey, we're getting ready to go to the finals here in the next four months are gonna be crazy, right? There's seasons in life. But if you, the more you take on as a challenge, the higher your support has to be. And what I mean by that disconnect is, um, I'll give you an example. Somebody goes online, buys a 12-week program. Like this, is, this program is gonna get me shredded. It's gonna be getting me this, that, the other. Boom, you get a PDF and go. But the support is, I mean, non-existent, very likely, right? So if you do something like that, being around people that support you, having a, a, a partner and an accountability group that trains with you, having a coach, um, you know, making sure your environments are the right way so that they support this change. Like, like I said, getting rid of toxic people and negativity, that's going to help you succeed, even though the challenge is higher, right? The, so that, that's the kicker, right? Like you have to kind of find that balance of maybe I don't have as, as much support right now. Let me make my challenge you know, a little bit lower, I'm still going to succeed. I'm still going to, you know, build that self-esteem, but it's going to be, um, it's going to be, I would say, aligned with the size of the challenge. And that um, leads to, and I forgot about this one, but ability to focus on the long-term, right? This number, this so this number is six. number six, number six right here. Um, and not letting short-term feelings and desires dictate your behaviors. So that's a, that's a huge, basically, um, in the surveys, that was a big thing that all these folks that like basically were able to keep that weight off and sustainably change the 5% said that was a thing. And, and that connects to like the values part. And I know this, this can get like foo-foo sometimes, right? But um, we, we talked a little about earlier about, you know, having gravity to attach to your goals. And 
you know, when you start something challenging, and let's be like very, very clear. I don't think anybody's ever said, yeah, me transforming my body was like one of the easiest things I've ever done in my life, right? It's, it's a challenging thing. So it's the worst. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like- Stupid fitness. Stupid fitness. Which, did you know, did you know that like the lifetime, you know what the average lifetime attempts of weight loss are? Please share. So it's, if, in general, it's 5.7. And then for women, it's seven. That means, that means um, that they've attempted to and actually succeeded in losing a good chunk of, of weight and then putting it back on. So, you know, and, and that, the reason I bring that up is, you know, talking about how challenging it is. The 5.7 and 7 is like, in many a times, majority of the times, the attempt was in something that was pretty aggressive and, you know, a drastic cutting calories, an aggressive program. Uh, there were some results, but it was not sustainable, right? And so to lead into number six, as far as that you are thinking about not like in two or three months, you're thinking about who am I going to be in a year and ongoing? Who do I want to become? Right? That question and aligning it with, uh, like I said, your values. Because it's, it's such a deep, you know, I call it an anchor, right? The goals are attached to an anchor. So if we would always, you know, we still, still do ask this question. I ask my, myself this question a lot of times. If you say something like, oh, I want to make more money, right? Or I want to lose 20 pounds. Okay, wh why do you want to do that? Why do you want to lose 20 pounds? I'm, I'm just curious, right? Well, I, I'll fit better in my jeans and I feel better when I, when I fit in my jeans, okay? Why does that matter? Why does it matter to you? Well, when I fit in my jeans and I feel better and I look better, I, I feel more confident, right? Okay, why, does, why is that important? You feeling more confident? Because when I'm more confident, I feel like I have control of my destiny. Ah, okay, so what you want is more control in your life so that you can, you know, you can create your destiny, right? It started with losing 20 pounds, but the deep anchor was that like, man, like I don't feel like I have control in my life, right? So if you attach that to like the things that you're doing, when times get really hard, when you get what I call the mess, messy middle, right? Um, think about any transformation, you start your excited motivation, like, yeah, everybody's like, you're gonna do this. Ah. <laughs> And then the messy middle happens, right? Like you're in six weeks, eight weeks, 10 weeks, stuff gets hard. You know, kids, kids got more stuff. You got to run around and take into all their things. Like, okay, if, if you're only looking at that surface goal of 20 pounds, it's not deep and meaningful enough. The anchor isn't strong enough. And so people that like are connected to that long-term goal and go like, who do I want to become? And they attach things to values. They're going to be much more likely to succeed. And um, a mentor of mine back in the day said, hey, look, there's, there's um, three different things that commitment uh, that I believe are, are kind of the laws of commitment, right? Number one, do what is required, right? And what's required is, you know, we talked a little bit about a template for training. If you go through that template for the next year, I, I guarantee you, you're going to be a fit person that's pretty damn strong and you've sustainably, you know, changed your body, okay? So do what's required. If you, if, if, you, you tell me, Sean, like, listen, man, I want to go to powerlifting competition. Um, I want to, but I'm going to train once a week. Listen, Good buddy. luck. Yeah. <laughs> In a taken <laughs> voice. Good luck. <laughs> like, so that's not, it's not going to fly because there's, there's a higher requirement to that, right? Yeah. Um, hey, listen, I only want to work four hours. I'm going to start a gym and I want to work four hours a day, four days a week for the next two years. Not going to happen. So the requirement is higher, right? So to, commitment is you got to do what's required and there's requirements for success in certain areas we're actually going over the requirements of 
the people, the five percent that that change their body and, and and keep it that way. Number two is, you know, do what you do do what you said you're going to do, and and preferably when you said you're going to do it. That goes back to not even just me telling you that, but me telling myself that. It's that self-esteem that we talked about, right? Stacking those credits, right, of self-esteem. Number three, this is the biggest one, though. Do it despite of feelings, emotions, moods, and thoughts, right? Because how many times do we have this thing where it's like, man, I'm tired. Man, I don't want to go on date night. <laughs> right but but what type of person just do I had it last night <laughs> i didn't know that by the way but it's but it's but it's that's that's the truth right like it's but i'm but i'm, but I'm committed yeah. i'm committed to building this relationship so i'm still gonna i'm still gonna do it right in in what tends to happen in life is that we let our feelings dictate our action oh, and i'm tired right now you know what i'm gonna just watch netflix i'm not gonna i'm not gonna go to the gym so we have basically a feeling followed by an action, and then that creates your identity, right? Because if I'm tired and then I don't take action, my identity is going to be a person that just you know, sits around and watches Netflix instead of exercising. But if we take, flip this pyramid around and go, what identity do we want, right? I, to me, that's like, who do you want to become, okay? Well, then what does that person do, right? What does a person that's fit do? Well, every day they're going to be active and they're going to exercise. Okay, so I'm going to take that action. And that action is then going to create a feeling. And usually that's the feeling we want, right? The feeling of accomplishment, the feeling of confidence, of self-esteem. So I'm always, in my, in my mind, I'm always thinking about who do I want to become? Who do I want to become? And it's, it's just such a critical thing because doing that is going to lead you to the behaviors. You know, I will say, are, are your behaviors matching your goals, right? Are your behaviors matching your goals? Um, and so that, that's a big, 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 I would yeah. say, num number six. You know what's crazy is, I mean, first of all, when, when we take an action towards our goal, you know, something that is beneficial for us, even when we, quote, don't feel like it, is changing, our neurobiology is shifting, is creating a new res resilience. Like it's training your brain, it's literally getting trained to, this is who I am. Despite this circumstance, I still fill in the blank, right? So despite feelings, despite, you know, a temporary, because usually feelings are temporary, they're very mm -hmm. fleeting. Despite this, th this thing, I still do this, you know, action. And it creates a, a neurological association. It builds more resilience to do a tough thing. And I think a lot more people this past 18 months as of this recording have experienced that more because our routines were changed. And so, I'm somebody, I, I love, I love it. I love to, to train. I love, you know, it's just something I'm just connected to because of the times when I might not have wanted to and building that muscle is just a part of my, like you said, it's a conscious competence. Mm -hmm. No, it's a unconscious competence. Unconscious competence, yeah. And so, but I've seen times, which was very unlike me where I'm just like, uh, maybe, you know, I, I'll do it tomorrow, you know? And I, I don't even talk like that. And so in a couple of times, that was the case. But more often than not, I've done the thing and I've, and I just wanna throw this out there. I found other kind of treats because right now I'm forcing myself to do a thing that you know, I might not quote feel like doing in the moment, but like, let me take this as an opportunity. Like I've changed the meaning of it, right? So now 
versus me just doing doing my thing, you know, my fitness just to take care of my body. Now I like, now I'm I'm training to be a leader right now. I'm training to be, you know, a, a, a messenger and a, a force of 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 love or empowerment or whatever it is. And I'm just like, no, nah, this is my duty. This is my this is my my opportunity to get better, to be more prepared, to whatever it is. So I started changing the meaning in those moments to now where I'm back and just like it's non-negotiable again. See, that's and that's such a powerful anchor because, you know, I think I think that people are, uh, people are, what they do when nobody's watching, right? And yeah. to me, I'm, I've always been like, okay, cool. Like if there's a camera twenty four seven on me, I, I don't know it's there though, right? And I mean, you you have kids, like I don't have kids yet, but there's people in my life that like I I always want to make proud, you know, and and it's like, you know, when you show up for even like a podcast or an IG on you know, you can orchestrate things, right? But when nobody's watching yeah. what you do, like that is who you are. You know, and if, if you think about like, look, somebody's going to film your life. And then once you pass away, th those recordings that you didn't know were, you know, that you were being recorded, get given to your kids. And, and would they watch it and go like, man, that's my dad. I'm so proud. You know what I mean? Like, look at what he was doing when nobody was watching, right? And like that, to me, that's powerful. Like that's an anchor. If I live my life like that, and I catch myself, Ooh, you know, conscious competence, right? Man, like that's going to start shifting the way that I behave. And a big, you know, like the, the whole identity thing, uh, to, to me, James Clear kind of made it one of the better analogies, which is casting votes for who you are, you know, and um, I'll take a, a sport that, I don't know, I was going to say ping pong, but I'm pretty damn good at ping pong. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> like volleyball or something, right? Like if I play volleyball next week, and, and you ask me, hey, Luke, are you a volleyball player? Like, not really. I mean, I play volleyball here and there, but I'm not a volleyball player. But if I play volleyball three days a week for a year and you ask me, are you a volleyball player? I'm like, yeah, I'm a volleyball player, man. Let's go. Right? Call me Spike. <laughs> Call me Spike, bro. <laughs> but it's, it's because I cast so many votes for that identity that that's who, like, that's what I, who I believe I am, right? Yeah. And, and so it's, it's a two-way street. Your mind and, you know, physical actions, like, I, I think physical actions always win, right? They, they, they create more neural circuitry than anything else. Um, even though if like we visualize and we have affirmations and we ask ourselves the right questions, I think that's it's crucial. I think it's key. But nothing will, will change you more than the actions change you. And so that, that whole analogy of self-esteem is very, very critical because, you know, like how do you do the stuff that builds the credits? And when you do that, like you'll believe that you're that person, right? Um, number seven is actually like a number of different things. These, these are like the, um, almost like some other things that those people did, right? Uh, and a lot of them are connected to nutrition. Uh, I'll go through them a little bit faster, but, but I think we can kind of come back to some of them. Um, eating lower calorie foods, eating higher protein, consuming higher fiber. This one I think is really important is flexible versus rigid rules um and we kind of talked about that earlier right. right like if if you have very rigid like i gotta hit this number of calories it's, like the, you gotta, it's that analogy you use of the tightrope versus the the boundaries the of the boundaries i love that yeah. man it's i love that and that rigid never works long term never and it doesn't create autonomy right like if if you're a person that doesn't get to a point where you go um all right listen you got to eat this lean ground beef they don't have lean ground beef but I, but I know that there's all these other lean proteins that I like. Just pick that one, right? 
helping people make those choices and decisions is basically the flexible versus rigid. So that was a, a big one. Another big one is like not snacking and grazing. So um, people that, that snack don't do very well when it comes to changing their body, right? And here's, here's an actual stat that was uh, most people when they snack, they eat between five to 700 calories a day that if I ask them, I say, hey, listen, tell, tell me more about what you eat. They tell me the main meals, but it's almost like forgetting that they snack and you're squeezing in like 500 to 700 calories, which is, adds up to a lot, right? So one of the huge successes that we've had when we coach people on the nutrition side is just cutting or eliminating snacks, right? Every single time success goes like this, right? And, and it, mm. what's, what's great is that once people get that, you know, I would say, um, com- like I would say unconscious competence, right? Uh, or should I say they, they start realizing. So the conscious competence part of it, they go like, man, like I, I, I just realized how much I was snacking. It's just automatic, right? And that's another part of it was not eating. The people that did well was, I would say, practicing to not eat with stress and emotions. And you may have heard this. Um, it's used in cognitive behavior therapy. It's called HALT, the HALT strategy. So it, it, it goes not in just nutrition, but um, also with anxiety. Okay, And it means, uh, the acronym is, are you hungry, angry, lonely, or tired? Right? HALT. And most of the time, what you recognize is that you're not eating because you're hungry. It's like you're, you're bored. I don't got anything to do. I'm fidgeting. Oh, food, right? Or like, man, somebody really upset me. So what do we do? Like, we want to be comforted. And food comforts us. Especially, you know, sugary food or food that has some type of memory connection to love. Um, grandma made me this, right? Mm-hmm. My mom gave me this when I fell and hurt myself. So if we can kind of break that pattern and go like, huh. You know what? I'm not really hungry. I, I ate an hour ago. Doesn't make sense, right? Like, what happened? It's a coworker. Like, man, coworker like made me mad. <laughs> you know what I mean? Peanut butter and M and M's in a, you know, in a, I would say in a, in a cafeteria. Boom, I'm snacking on them, right? So people that were able to work on that uh, did really, really well. Not staying up too late. I know, I know, I know you'll love this one. This one, but it's like the sleep part is massive because if you sleep less. You're more stressed out. You have more time to eat. And this, now there's, there's been a huge correlation between that, lack of sleep and, and eating more. Yeah. Um, Increased like 600 more calories consumed. And so now like th- think about just two of the things that we mentioned in this part, snacking and eating more because you have lack of sleep or quality of sleep. Right? So now you, you start looking at it like that and going, like, how, if you can just improve that by 50%, you're cutting down six, seven, eight hundred calories per day, right? I mean, that's over the course of a year, dramatic, dramatic results, right? And so this is the thing that I want to kind of put out there is like, it's, it, it's these small bricks to stack up and build a really solid building over time, right? Um, and that the last one is high emotional intelligence and mindfulness and, and shining a light on your wins. So, so I would say working on, you know, the more empathetic that you are and mindful that you are, in life, I think it helps with just about anything, right? You want to be successful in business, being more empathetic and mindful will help you. Building better relationships, it'll help you. When it comes to, obviously, behaviors and nutrition, it will, it will help you. But, but also being that with yourself, right? Empathy, not beating yourself up because, man, I have went on seven diets and I failed. Like, I suck. 
I, I can't do this. Like, right? Empathy is like, hey, you know what? You're coming back for the eighth time. You know what you are? You're resilient. Man, like you got, you got a lot of fire in you. That's the way I look at stuff. Like I can tell you all the stuff that you're not. But man, here's all these positive properties that I see in you, right? And mindfulness is like just being able to, to stop and be aware of things. Um, like I said, whether it's behaviors, food, how we treat people, um, all those different things, right? And the whole wins, I think there's been a common theme throughout this conversation, which is how do you constantly shine a light on wins? Because we know it works, right? That doesn't mean that like we don't challenge ourselves, we don't challenge each other, that, um, you know, that, like I said, that there's no push. But the reason, you know, people build these identities that, that they can't do things is because they keep repeating that to themselves or, or listening to, to somebody or going on social media and going like, man, like, you know, I'm not that lean. I'm not that strong. I don't have uh, enough money. I should be, you know, that magical word. I always say like, don't should all over yourself, right? Like I should be here. I should be there. I should not. Nah, reality is you're here. But the great thing is that wherever you want to go, you can go there. You can yeah. change that. Um, so that, that last one was, more wrapped into the seven, but I do feel that it's a, it's a good shining light on. If you do those things, like you'll be amongst the 5% and look at it like, you know, whatever today's data is like, look at the, the long term, look at next year, like who do I want to become? Um, and if you remember, even if you're 40, 50% compliant with your actions, like you'll have really good success. Right. 40 to 50% compliant in these and all, also they feed into each other, of course, Absolutely. massively. Got a quick break coming up, we'll be right back. Few people know that regularly drinking coffee has been shown to help prevent cognitive decline and reduce the risk of developing Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease. This attribute referenced in the journal Practical Neurology is yet another reason why intelligent coffee consumption makes the list of best neuronutritious beverages. Another study featured in the journal Psychopharmacology uncovered that drinking coffee has some remarkable benefits on mental performance. The researchers found that intelligent coffee intake leads to improvements in alertness, improved reaction times, and enhanced performance on cognitive vigilance tasks and tasks that involve deep concentration. Now, why am I stressing intelligent coffee intake? This means acknowledging the true U-shaped curve of benefits and not going ham on caffeine. The data clearly shows that some coffee, a cup or two a day, and the accompanying caffeine is a great adjunct for improved mental performance. But going too far starts to lead to diminishing returns. So we wanna make sure that we're getting an optimal intake of coffee, and again, not going overboard. But also, coffee is best when it's not coming along with pesticides, herbicides, rodenticides, fungicides, these chemical elements are clinically proven to destroy our microbiome terrain. So destroying the very microbiome that helps to regulate our metabolism, regulate our immune system, the list goes on and on. Obviously, we wanna make sure that those things are not coming along with the high quality coffee that we're trying to get these benefits from. And also, what if we can up-level the longevity and neurological benefits of the coffee by combining it with another clinically proven nutrient source. Well, that's what I do every day when I have the organic coffee combined with the dual extracted medicinal mushrooms from Four Sigmatic. And if we're talking about optimal cognitive performance and the health of our brain, the protection of our brain, 
there are few nutrient sources like lion's mane medicinal mushroom that pack these kind of benefits. Researchers at the University of Malaya found that lion's mane has neuroprotective effects, literally being able to help to defend the brain against even traumatic brain injuries. It just makes the brain more healthy and robust. So again, this combination of medicinal mushrooms plus organic high-quality coffee is a match made in nutrient heaven. Go to foursigmatic.com forward slash model. That's F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com forward slash model to get 10% off their incredible mushroom elixirs, mushroom hot cocos, and mushroom coffees. Again, that's foursigmatic.com forward slash model. And now back to the show. I love that you mentioned um, <laughs> this tendency towards stress eating. And we've seen this skyrocket. We were talking about this before the show and the amount of weight that folks have gained during COVID. Crazy. Talk about that a little bit. So, and the I, snowball effect. Yes. Um, I was blown away. I, I, I had to kind of keep checking the stat because I was like, nah, this, you know, some, somebody's throwing it out there to, to trigger people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, but um, it was, I think, 42% of Americans gain an average of 29 pounds. Uh, and I think millennials was 41, okay? Uh, which means almost half, right? Almost half. Now, if you sit there and stop and think about that, that's an incredibly crazy statistic, right? Now, we know that before pre-COVID that, you know, the, the health of this country was at a decline. It was not good whatsoever. But the analogy that we talked about earlier was that like, you know, it's like a snowball. If you've ever, you know, I, I'm, I come from Slovenia. It's so like in this winter, there's a lot of snow. You make these snowballs and you go on a big hill when it was like uh, still fresh powdered snow and you'd roll the snowball and just keep picking up more snow and it get bigger and bigger and bigger. I mean, it like become a big, big snowball. We were, I feel like, already snowballing in a, a negative direction. I think nobody can argue with that if you look at the statistics um, of, of where we're, I think we're at 42% obesity pre-pandemic. And, you know, adding on to this stat, like during the pandemic, that big snowball, like somebody came and it pushed it even faster. It's, it's, it's almost like the decline in a year and a half is equal to, um, I can't remember, but I was, but I was looking uh, up statistics, like six, seven, eight years. It's almost like, you know, we four or five X the negative decline of, of health in this country because of it. And, and so you have to like ask yourself, how do you know, how do you start shifting that? Now, it can be such a big task that like uh, me personally, you know, when you start thinking about changing um, systems and policies and things of that nature, I mean, it can become overwhelming to even think about, right? Because it's like many of the systems are broken, right? So personally for me, um, I look at it like this. I influence one, myself, two, you know, my, my family and friends, and then my community. And things start from the inside out. And I think that's, that's how you take back power and control. You know, it's like, I'm responsible for my own life. And here's, here's the people that I can influence. And it, again, the analogy of the lighthouse. You know, I always think about that. Lighthouses do two things. Um, they guide people away from danger. They guide them to safety and they shine no matter what. Storm, the whole worst weather, no matter what, right? A tugboat on the other side tries to go out 
and I would say save everything, everybody and people, and tends to a lot of times drown with the person, right? So being a lighthouse to me means, you know, living in congruence with my values, who I want to become, and then affecting all those people around. Now, because if, if I do it right, what's going to happen is another person is going to become a lighthouse and another one and another one and another one in their families, at their work, in their communities. And we create these ripples that create waves. And I like the thing is I can control that, right? So you can control you. You can, can, you can affect the people in your circles a lot. But if you start going like, well, here's, you know, here's the, this politician that didn't put this into place. Here's this uh, medical system that's not working. And like, there are people working on that, affecting that. Like, I think, you know, you're doing so much in that, spreading that word um, and educating. It's, it's phenomenal. Every person that has to take that and they have to go and become the lighthouse. Yeah. Now, if we do that, right, it starts steamrolling and it becomes that snowball, but it becomes a snowball that goes in the direction that we want it to go. And I, I feel like that's, you know, how we change things because, like, somebody got to stop this, this snowball, man. Like, we got to yeah. stop it. You know what I mean? Yeah. We got a bunch of massive Frosty the Snowman out oh, here man. getting built, you know? <laughs> so what are some of the trends, especially with you having such an incredible gym and culture and just being a leader in fitness, what are some of the trends slash changes that you've seen in training tactics? and culture since COVID has arrived on the scene? Like, what are some of the, the changes that you've seen take place? So one of the things that's been, I think there's been a, a trend in the last years is recovery. And so, you know, when we talked about the stresses, right? More so than ever, like we have to learn how to manage stress. I think that there's, there hasn't been enough education around, you know, like even for instance, cardio, how, like, most people put cardio in one bucket. Hey, do you do your cardio? Yeah, man, I do. What type of cardio do you do? What do you mean? <laughs> right? It's like there's different forms of cardio. And cardio can be an incredible form of de-stressing, right? Meaning if you do aerobic exercise, which is the, like the, the lighter sweating, 130 to 150 beats per minute, nothing crazy, that is an incredible recovery workout after a hard session. And it can put you in a parasympathetic state, right? Meaning that's your rest and digest. Because we do, you know, life is inherently very stressful. Let's look at the last two years. I mean, uncertainty creates anxiety, creates stress, right? And right now, still, there's so much uncertainty. What's going to happen if you have, a, you know, if you have a business, if you have a job, the economy, right? It's so uncertain. And sometimes then what do we do? We try to, uh, I would say, use exercise as a mental uh, like mental health kind of like tool, which it, it is, right? But then you got to be careful because, okay, I go in and I crush a workout seven days a week and that helps me, um, you know, with my kind of like getting my mental uh, uh, focus right and, and kind of putting the, these emotions into a space that I can exert them in a, in a positive way. But we may be sometimes doing more harm than good, right? Because all of a sudden that allostatic, you know, load that we talked about too much. Boom, now you got inflammation, your back gets blown out, can't sleep, and you're like, I don't know, I'm exercising, right? So recovery is really finding the puzzle pieces, I think, and this is going to continue to be something that we're going to have to really look into and piece this puzzle piece together. Here's how we're training here, and then we're also, yes, this is exercise, but it's recovery-based. We're doing 
mobility circuits and you know we're doing aerobic uh, capacity work and we're and, and we're doing infrared saunas and uh, cold plunge pools in certain scenarios and so on and so forth right like and we're doing ivs when necessary yeah i've seen more people doing those things recently like yes. utilizing sauna cold therapy so in the gym for example because this is a good connection here is the culture i know you've seen shift where not as many people were at the gym so what were folks doing i mean did people just kind of did you notice people picking stuff up and trying to do stuff at home or people trying to segregate themselves at a, at the gym like so what what, here, was, what did you see change that's, that's a great question because that's been a conversation you know for me I, i'm i'm in a fitness space i own gyms and i and i coach coaches and gym owners so it's you know getting hundreds of, of pieces of feedback so one of the things i found is that bigger gyms okay um are, are struggling and struggled i, I would say maybe the most and still will be for for some reasons there's not as much culture so if you, you come to my gym there's a i mean it, it's it's a belief system right it's it's more tight-knit there's less there's less members we're all uh, kind of on the same boat i mean we legitimately have you know these values that are everywhere and these quotes that are everywhere and there's the way that there's a way that we train and then there's a way that we um believe in like how we we um live our lifestyle as well right so there's a the whole culture and community around it we do combined work in the community do philanthropic work and so on and so forth with with i would say bigger gyms there's less of that so there's less of i'm you know i'm not only going to exercise and you know follow this this belief system that i have but i'm going to go see my friends my people right there is like you went and rented equipment so more people will set up home gyms than ever and started exercising at home which i think obviously it's you know that that number is gonna gonna stay because they found that online you know there's great communities online that where whether it's facebook groups it's apps they can communicate with each other and still follow some type of structured program that we talked about earlier right but what's also happening and this is somewhat you know statistical and anecdotal is that when we get people back and they go like it's not the same right one, one of the things that i heard right off the bat was like oh this is the end of gyms and I, you know i was the first person to be like no because that because that would mean that it's the end of community mm. that would mean it's the end of culture it'd be it would, it would mean that it's the end of social gathering and connection right and it's like that that's never going to happen and so what we're seeing is that the the tightest communities that are more than just hey this is how we exercise right are continuing to go strong and a lot of times growing right and when that wasn't in place it's it's more challenging for them right and i i think that this will continue as we move forward right that it's like um i'm a big believer i mean five six years ago the thing that that i was, was saying that if you're a coach and the only thing that you understand is exercise but you don't have uh, nutritional knowledge and guidance right and you're able to, to nutritionally guide uh, clients you're going to become a relic you know and i think now i'll say that when you look at the next four to five years if you're not you know really good understanding habits and behavior change and how these puzzle pieces fit together is going to be increasingly more challenging because it's it's all symbiotic right how your personal life and emotions and stress affect your training your training affects everything is interconnected and so the future i believe that the companies and businesses that understand that you know and also understand people environments social sciences right like we'll we'll do best because 
it's just such a, a, a bigger picture than like how many reps are we doing? You know, um, even the template that I was talking about. I mean, I'm a geeky person. Like I study training left and right all the time. But, you know, about eight, nine years ago, like I, I dove into change psychology and habits and behavior change, social science, environments, understanding, you know, neurology, what makes people tick. Because all the X's and O's are irrelevant if we can't help people at the, you know, baseline level change behaviors, right? Yeah. And you could, I mean, you could go online and in two weeks kind of find out some foundational things about nutrition to where it's like, okay, if I do these X's and O's, if I do that, I'll be good. But yet we still have the most declining, you know, health in the history of, of the U.S., right? It's nuts. Yeah, man, it's so many good insights. You know, I think that especially with the, your data set, you being able to, to see this culture, to study things, and this is what really separates you in my mind is that I know clearly and I see clearly you've studied psychology and behavior change and you're looking at the thing that really motivates and creates the action outside you know and we tend to get so focused on the the external thing and one of my biggest takeaways from today and this this is a game changer if we really get this when you gave this analogy of the tightrope and the boundaries that in of itself because we as a, a culture today we tend to have this all or nothing mentality with stuff and if we're creating this tightrope and I love it you brought it back to in the training analogy and then brought it to the, the nutrition domain. It's so easy to fall off. You know, you've got a tightrope. You're probably, you have, your likelihood of, quote, falling off is so great. And what happens when you fall off? Like, that's it. Versus having boundaries where you create. And I, I, I think, let me circle back to the Will Smith thing, you know. He, he was walking a tightrope if he's just looking at pound a week. You know, versus like, let's create some strategic boundaries that we're operating in here where there's going to be a myriad of success. But at the same time, you know, if we are, let's use this stress, this stressful eating as an example. You know, what's crazy is that I, I've seen there's two templates usually. Some people tend to lose their appetite when they're excessively stressed. And this guy right here. <laughs> me as well. Whereas my wife, she, if she's she will eat she'll eat in your face if there's a if there's an argument taking place which we don't you know we're, we're man i mean I, I love our relationship but at times like she can literally just start going just start you know chowing down where i'm just like <laughs> how could you eat right now you know and so but what's what's found in the data is that it's actually the best time for you and what happens when you're stressed when you're stressed we tend to make poorer food choices and that can be that opening to where I've fallen off. I've fallen off this tightrope versus I, I operate in this boundary. I had this poor decision that I made now, but it's all good. I'm still within my boundary. But this is when we tend to make poorer food choices as well is when we're stressed. The best time to actually eat said pizza or ice cream or whatever the case might be is when you're actually healthy, when you're feeling good, when you're not stressed. Your body, the management, of these inputs is greatly improved when you feel good versus everything becoming constricted, inflammatory. It can really gum the system up more. Now, I'm not advocating for people to go to Burger King, you know, when they're happy, but it's just one of these things that we, it just happens in our environment. We don't realize that when we're walking this tightrope, stress hits, chances are you're going to fall off 
and it's much more difficult to to get back on that tightrope. There's there's two things I I wanted to kind of throw in there because what you want to do is you know for instance if you make a choice of hey listen let's have pizza on Friday night but I'm calm it's strategic like man I've been on point the whole week I, my my behavior has been matching my goals it's actually part of the plan we have pizza Saturday nights mm. right because you got those boundaries you got boundaries and you're making yeah. a decision out of power yeah. not scarcity not fear not stress right so it's like where are you what where are your come decisions coming from is it stress scarcity fear you know all these negative emotions or is it from consciously right and number two as you said all or nothing right and i always when somebody says all or nothing i say uh-uh always something right so all or nothing is i couldn't get my hour and 20 minute workout in the way it was structured nothing but always something is i mean like yesterday right like i got i'm like man i'm coaching the pro uh, rugby team then i gotta coach this i gotta make a call I got like 30 minutes before I got to head home and jump on a flight, right? Now, my training session usually is an hour and a half. There's no way that's going to happen. What I do, I actually went home in my living room, did a 30-minute bodyweight session, got a sweat going, you know, jetted out. But it's like, but the thing is, that was always something. And imagine a dial. So in exercise and in nutrition, imagine a 10 on the dial is like the perfect optimal thing that you plan the workout you did it great you were you, you weren't tired you smashed it right zero is nothing zero didn't do anything but an eight is hey i got three quarters of the workout done still really hard but i only had so much time um you know a five or six is like man i, I couldn't go to the gym but I still got a workout in with a couple of dumbbells and body weight a three is like i went for a 40 minute walk but i'm just turning the dial you know, from 10 to 1. And it's like all or nothing is like a 10 or a 0. That's not going to work. In nutrition, it's the same thing. My dial at 10 is like this, the most optimal meal I could have locked in in my plan to get to where I want to go. A 7 is like, man, like I, I went to this restaurant. They, they didn't have the things that I really wanted. So, you know, I, I had to go with some, uh, you know, some extra carbs. But, but that wasn't planning, for instance, right? You turn it down and it's like, damn, or I only, you know, instead of having the donut and the coffee, maybe I have, you know, uh, I would say the coffee with just some zero calorie, uh, I would say all milk or something else, right? Like, it's like you look at that dial and you go, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. Just think always something because it, it comes back to that, that stat that we said, only 40 to 50% compliance will get you pretty damn good results across the year. In your mind, when you're about to go like, ah, all or nothing. I can't do all, so I'm going to do nothing. Just tell yourself that phrase, always something. And turn the dial. And I promise you, like, when you do, and you could do that in, in any part of your life, right? You'll have so much more success if you do that. So good, man. I, I got to ask you about one more thing because, you know, you're the guy just to, to ask things like this. Anaerobic threshold. Why does that matter? Why does being aware of our anaerobic threshold, what is it? And what can we do to improve it? So there's, when it comes to cardio, this is, this is a great question because I love talking about cardio stuff. People put it in the same bucket, right? So um, anaerobic threshold is everybody reaches their anaerobic threshold at a certain point of heart rate, okay? Now, the only true way to measure it, okay? The only true way to measure it is to basically do a gas exchange test in the lab, which most of us aren't going to do. But a very simple way, and it's, it's 
pretty on point is to do, for instance, like a 12 minute test. You could do it for running. Um, if, if running is beating you up, you could do it on an aerodyne bike. You could do it somewhere. And basically what you're trying to do is in those 12 minutes, push as hard as you can, right? Try to keep it steady. Okay. Now you got to wear a heart rate monitor for it. And what's going to happen is that you're going to have a specific heart rate average across those 12 minutes. Plus minus about five beats per minute is your anaerobic threshold. Now, if you think about, because then that, that gives you some data to train it. Okay. Um, after you're done with that 12 minutes, I also really like to do what's called a 60 second heart rate recovery test. And it tells you how much does your heart rate drop in 60 seconds. It's a really big marker of your, your, your cardio and fitness levels. You know, going back to, to tracking progress, these are great. Like most people don't know how to track progress of cardio. So we do all these different tests on how to do it. So then you have um, something to, to train it because most of your training for uh, anaerobic threshold is going to be in those plus minus five beats per minute around your uh, anaerobic threshold. So let's say yours was 171, right? That means we train between 166 and 176, right? 177-ish, right? I want you to stay there for, for instance, like three minutes at a time, right? If we were doing some type of shuttle sprints or uh, aerodyne bikes or whatever else. Now, what it does is it will basically raise your anaerobic threshold. So imagine that like when you go past your anaerobic threshold, you start using glycogen for energy. You start to go to the aerobic side. You go, you go to the anaerobic glycolytic side. So you yeah. mean, you're using the sugars, but you only have so much time to do that, right? That's for instance, I'll give an analogy of a fighter. Yeah. So a fighter, once they, you know, if they're usually, if they were um, bigger, more muscular and, you know, they're swinging and they're killing it and like, and you've seen them like gas out, right? This is a great, uh, I would say, um, analogy of like, man, he was throwing those punches so hard. He came in in round two and it looked like he could barely throw, yeah. right? Because his anaerobic threshold was pretty like low. And then after that, he fell down into an aerobic zone and he just didn't have a lot of aerobic power. Right, so if we can raise that, it means that we can be more powerful. The the anaerobic threshold is higher, and we can be more powerful in aerobic zone. Great example, uh, a friend of mine, Demetrius Johnson, Mighty Mouse, right, one of the most winning, winningest uh, fighters in UFC history. You've ever seen him fight in the fifth round? You're like, this this guy's throwing like he's in the first round, right? He's one of the most conditioned fighters. My my friend Joel actually created his conditioning programs for a decade plus because he trained those systems so he can throw really powerfully, but his heart rate is still pretty low. Now that's trained, right? So how can this, for, for athletes, this is crucial if, if you play a sport where, for instance, any type of fighting, boxing, MMA, but a lot of team sports, basketball, um, football doesn't need it as much because it's more short and explosive bursts with longer breaks, but most team soccer, you, you need anaerobic threshold work, right? But if you're in, for instance, if you're like, oh, how does this relate to me if I'm, um, if I'm just a person that's, you know, uh, like trying to exercise, I mean, but it's like, okay, do you want to go on a hike? Do you, what about, um, do you play any type of basketball, you know, like weekend warrior type stuff? What about, you know, ultimate frisbee, whatever it may be, majority of things you got to work on that because otherwise you get like smoked really fast. And what it does too is like it, your form breaks down. Right. So looking at these pockets of cardio is really important. That's why even in that template, I say, hey, once a week, do, you know, aerobic base work, which is just 
steadier state, nothing really super intense. But once a week, really get that heart rate up. That could be your anaerobic threshold work, right? Yeah. Get your heart rate up, keep it there for a while, then let it come all the way back down, repeat, right? I mean, that's the super basic part of it. But um, understanding that there's different energy systems um, with a lot of my NFL guys, I think, I think a lot of the pro sports stuff has been very outdated, you know? In Major League Baseball, they have like a one-mile run test. Um, and I trained some, what is it, the top, the, the, the top baseball players on the planet, Cy Young Award winners. They're like, Luca, should I train for this? I'm like, no. What, what in baseball, when do you need that? You don't. It's just, it's just been around for so long. You Never. Know? Never, right? <laughs> but football is five to eight seconds of extremely explosive, violent play, followed by about 35 seconds to 50 seconds of rest, right? That's called anaerobic galactic. It's very fast, very explosive, and then you have a pretty good break. So I'm going to help those guys do two things. Aerobic base, everybody needs that. And then anaerobic galactic, right? It's the best use of time, and it's, it's going to transfer well to the sport. So even with um, you know, clients that come in and say, hey, I want to be more fit, remember that question. Like, to me, it's like, what does that look like? Tell me about what that looks like. Man, I want to go on a like eight-mile hike and push it. Ah. Here's, what, here's the cardio energy systems you'll need. We'll work on that. We get firefighters. I got to pass this CPAP test. Okay, what does it include? Oh, I got to drag this dummy. I got to do this. And then I got to do a stepper with a weight vest and this much on. Ah, okay. Right? And we kind of look at that. And then we program in a way that helps those people achieve those specific goals. And rather than, you know, just like, ah, I just want to improve my cardio. Like you want to ask more specific things, right? And that's why making progress, and even going back to that Will Smith, you know, um, conversation, I would have got really specific. You know, what does that mean to you? What does progress look like? What would, you know, and you, and you get granular and then you build that in so that the behaviors like create those buoys along the way. Like, oh, we're on track. We're on track. And, and then they can feel good about it too because it's not just weight. It's not just this. It's not just that. I got a whole list of things that with clients will go, you know, at the end of the month, it's like, you know, trap bar deadlifts up this much. You're throwing this this much harder. Look at your conditioning levels, right? And you're, you're showing them stuff. And they're like, they're feeling great. I'm winning, I'm winning, I'm winning, winning, right? And maybe one of the things isn't there yet. Like, oh, I hope to lose five pounds, but I'm down three. But what I found is that when people focus on performance, it improves their body composition. When yeah. people focus on their behaviors, it improves their body composition. Yeah. It's the greatest win of all time, right? Because they keep improving and getting better. And, you know, everything else kind of aligns along the road with it. Yeah. Perfect, man. Perfect. Yes. When you focus on health, the body composition comes along with it. 100%. So, man, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your insights. Can you let everybody know where they can follow you, get more information, and also... Can people come by and check you out? You know, come by, come by the gym. Listen, I, all you got to do is let me know. Vigor Ground is, is, is open for anybody and everybody. We've, we actually, now we get a lot of people from out of state and they fly in, you know, the countries, go train, hang out. We'll do, you know, any workshops and stuff like that. But um, I, I share a lot of that. It's almost like the hub is Instagram. Um, that's at Luca Hosevar, L-U-K-A-H-O-C-E-V-A-R. Say that real fast. You get 50 bucks. Uh, <laughs> uh, then the gym is vigorgroundfitness.com is, is the gym website. Um, I also uh, help a lot of coaches actually build their, their businesses, and that's yogrowyourgym.com. 
which you'll appreciate this is a uh, similar logo to yo mtv raps so that, that the old school is um and uh, on youtube actually a lot of the stuff too that that we just talked about yeah. i put a lot of content that's for instance how to do threshold training cardio uh, workouts uh, muscle building like everything around fitness and nutrition all of my seminars that i've recorded um there's like 1400 videos you can check that out on youtube and that's the same thing just put in luca hosvar and that'll pop up perfect man truly i mean you are somebody speaking from outside and the people that know you you're you're the trainer's trainer you know like a lot of folks are looking to you for models of you know their gym their culture education so man it's just you're such a gift, man, thank you, to, brother, to man. this world. So I appreciate you. Thank you. Appreciate you right back. And thank you for having me on the show again, man. Of course, man. Let's go. Luca Hosevar, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning into the show today. I hope you got a lot of value out of this. So many incredible insights that we can use to fuel our performance, to fuel our results moving forward. I love the analogy of that snowball effect taking place in our society. We've just been seeing everything just trending downward as far as our, our health our levels of fitness, our levels of happiness. And then COVID jumping on the scene and literally it's as if the snowball that was already rolling downhill gets a strong punch in the back of its snowy shoulders and pushing it downhill even faster. Now, at the same time, now I'm, I'm picturing like it rolling through Who Town, you know, the, the Grinch coming through and stealing everybody's Christmas fitness. And at the same time, this snowball can be stopped and we can create a snowball of efficacy and a snowball effect in health, in fitness, in happiness, in performance, in success. And both things are equally available. All things are possible, but it's really what are we going to put our time and our attention into and taking on some of these tools because. You know, it's one thing to say a thing and to want to do a thing. It's another thing completely to take action towards it and to actually achieve it. And in that process of achievement, he talked about the messy middle. That's where a lot of folks lose their way. That's where a lot of folks throw in the towel is that messy middle is that sloppy Joe section of transformation, you know, that messy middle. And so what can we utilize to leverage our psychology? Because the truth is we can absolutely start with, with vigor to you know, pivot off of Luca's incredible brand. We can start with vigor into a thing and we can traverse that messy middle and we can absolutely come out the other side with great success. But we've gotta be able to utilize the most powerful tool that we have, which is to utilize our incredible minds. So I hope that you got a lot of value out of this episode. If you did, please share it out on social media. You could tag me. I'm at Sean Model on Instagram. And Luca is at Luca Hosevar. That's L-U-K-A-H-O-C-E-V-A-R. Tag him. Let him know what you thought about this episode and make sure to follow him. He's somebody I follow. Always getting tips, insights, inspiration. He's always taking folks through and demonstrating for us as viewers, as followers, as students, some great insights about training. And you can actually see it firsthand there on Instagram, on that incredible platform that he's utilizing in a great way. Again, it's really, again, we want to curate our social media feed, start to feed ourselves things that empower us, 
that keep us informed and educated and rather than inundating us and distracting us from our own greatness, things that are pressing and moving us towards, guiding us towards our own greatness. All right. So I appreciate you so much for tuning into the show today. Again, again, tag me, tag Luca on Instagram. And of course, you could send this episode directly from the podcast app that you're listening on. You can also check out the episode on YouTube. If you're not watching the YouTube, come on, what are you doing? Pop over to the Model Health Show on YouTube as well. You could send and share it from YouTube, from that app too. I appreciate you so much. We've got some powerful guests and epic masterclasses coming your way very soon. So make sure to stay tuned. Take care, have an amazing day, and I'll talk with you soon. And for more after the show, make sure to head over to themodelhealthshow.com. That's where you can find all of the show notes. You can find transcriptions, videos for each episode. And if you got a comment, you can leave me a comment there as well. And please make sure to head over to iTunes and leave us a rating to let everybody know that the show is awesome. And I appreciate that so much. And take care. I promise to keep giving you more powerful, empowering, great content to help you transform your life. Thanks for tuning in.